Uh, when I graduated high school, uh, I graduated from Central Lafourche in 2007. Um, for the next three years, I spent my next three years at LSU. Uh, three years after that, I spent uh, at St. Ben's, uh, the seminary up in Covington, getting my undergrad. Uh, and then the next four years, I spent at Notre Dame uh, in New Orleans. Uh, so for 10 years after high school, I was a student. I was becoming a professional at it, right? The idea of never graduate, that was, uh, that was like a motto for me. Um, but I learned something very, very uh, important. I learned a very, very important fact, an irrefutable fact, a fact that will last for all times and all seasons and all places. College students are poor, right? We all know this, uh, that college students are poor, uh, and by the time that I got, you know, down to about 30 cents in my checking account, I realized I'm real bad, <laughs> right? Um, like, you, like do I, the dollar menu was like way, way, way too high for me. Like, it was rough. Um, but what happens whenever my bank account would get that low when I was in college, um, it would always lead to that phone call. And now some people are like, Father, what's that phone call? And every parent in here is like, I know that phone call. It was, hey, Mom, how you doing? Oh, good, good, yeah. Yeah, Dad, Dad's still a pain in the butt. Yep, uh-huh, yeah, he is, yeah. Fast forward five minutes of hearing her talk about my dad, right? Hey, uh, so how, how's work, right? Uh, how's, how's my sister? Yeah, she's ugly, uh-huh, yep, uh-huh, we know. She's still, yep, okay, great, just... Keep listening, keep listening, do what you got to do. All right. Hey, I uh, got a question. Um, it, it, you just wouldn't have to like, be able to put a little bit of money in my checking account, would you? Uh, I know, I know. I need, I, yeah, I, I, look, it was, I bought a book. Yeah, lie, absolute lie. Like, no question, lie. Yeah, I bought a book, uh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. No, no, it was a project that I had to do. Lie, again, right? Like, just working my way through. Uh-huh, yeah, look, I'm going to be careful with my money. Don't worry, don't worry. All right. Well, thank you. I, I, pretty, I love you. Love you, too. Thank you so much. Love you, love you. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, bye. Yeah, hey, guys, I'm going to be there tonight. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome, right? I know exactly, like, I, I'm, I'm may, I may be exaggerating a little bit, but I know I had that conversation. Like, one of the things I realized, though, over the course of those 10 years in school, I made that phone call more times than I can count, all right? It got so bad to the point that I was doing it almost once a week, once every other week, <laughs> once every, like, three days. Um, I, I, this conversation was happening over and over and over again, that at one point, I still remember, I was standing outside. It was probably my second year at St. Vincent's, so five years out of, high, out of high school. I remember I was standing outside. I was on the phone. I had a couple of friends around me, and I was like, Made the phone call. I'm like, all right. And when my mom answered, the only thing, I heard her voice on the other line, not a hello, not a what do you want. Very simple. How much? <laughs> that was it. How much? Well, how much? Tell it a number. Okay, bye. Click. Shortest conversation I probably ever had with my mother. <laughs> But I remember when I hung up the phone, it was the most, one of the most empty feelings that I've ever felt. How much? Click. Because I thought about it. I said, I was thinking about it for a second. I was like, is that all my relationship with my mom has become? Like, like dialing her number has become the same thing as hitting in a PIN number. 
mom starting to be spelled A-T-M, right? How much? Click. See, what was happening is that my relationship with my mom had developed, had, had transformed, had just kind of morphed, been deformed into this relationship of utility and not one of love and of concern and caring and all the, all the things that it's supposed to be. It was just the utility. I call, you give, click. So let's cut out all the pleasantries. I think what can happen a lot of times, whether we realize it or not, this can sum up the problem when we think of what is prayer and what is our relationship with God. It can become less about the relationship with a person and more about a utility. I say these prayers. I do these things. I don't do these things. I do do those things, right? And God, you give me what I ask for. And those things might be legitimate. Like, God, God, I need the promotion at work. God, I need the good grade on the test. God, I need to get into grad school. God, I need this. God, I need that. God, I want a new pro- I want a new prognosis because the last one I got just wasn't that good. God, I-, I want a new diagnosis because the last one I got just wasn't that good. God, I need help with this. God, I need help with this. I need, I need, I need this relationship to be fixed. Lord, please just fix it. God, I want her to recognize me because I think she's really cute and I don't have the courage or the you know what to get it, like to build up and actually go ask her out. Like, God, I need your help. I need I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. And our relationship with God now turns into one that's more about utility and less about a person. Today, when, we, when Jesus is confronted with this question by this disciple, He answers it in a very, very profound way. And I think it's something that if we take a moment tonight and we reflect on it, it could change the way that we approach prayer, could change the way that we approach Mass, could change the way that we approach God Himself. If we allow our Lord's words to penetrate our heart. Because when Jesus is talking about prayer, when we reflect on prayer, there are three questions that I think we can answer, that I think we need to focus on. Who, how, and when. In prayer, who. In prayer, how. And in prayer, when. First one. Jesus goes right there. He's asked today. He's asked tonight. He, the, the disciple comes up to him and says, Lord, teach us how to pray. You keep talking about praying. You keep talking about the teaching of the Father. and all the, You keep talking about all these teachings and all these wonderful things and what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And you're giving these weird parables that none of us understand. But look, just do me a favor. Teach us how to pray. Seems like a pretty fundamental question. Pretty simple question. And the first thing that Jesus does, He answers, who are you praying to? 
Because he could, he could have explained God in a multitude of different ways. He could have used an infinite number of different images. He could have talked about him being Father Sky. He could have talked about him being some kind of a ruler. He could have talked about him some, being some kind of this massive deity that's just like out there in the world. He could have used all these different images, a powerful judge, a politician. He could have used a bunch of different images that these men knew. And he chose the most fundamental relationship that every one of us have. He called him Father. When you pray, relate to God as our Father, as my Father. Not just a vending machine or an ATM, but as a Father who's concerned about you, who loves you, who's present to you, who's all-powerful, all-good, all-loving, all-present. That's the God that we pray to. Now, when we invite language like Father in, I want to take... I did this at every Mass this weekend, and I want to take this time because I think it's important. The Catechism talks about before we ever call God our Father, before we ever reference or reflect on or refer to or, or, or in relationship with God as our Father, one of the things we have to be careful of is that we don't take broken images of fatherhood from our world and apply them to God. Because whether we know it or not, it might not be you, it might be you. If it is, I just want to reverence this for a moment because it's important to talk about. Like, if, if my dad is not perfect, if my dad actually skewed the image of God, the Father, then actually that could hurt me relating to God as my Father. It can become a mask, if you will, that we throw on God. So, for example, if my dad was a very, very hard-nosed disciplinarian, you do this, you don't do that, right? If you don't stand, if you don't walk the straight line, you will be punished. And if you think that the cops are going to deal with you, wait until you get home kind of mindset, right? If that was your dad, it would make sense that if we're raised in that environment, that when we go to God, he's just a judge. Here's the Ten Commandments. You break them, go to hell. Literally. That, that, would be a, that would be a mask that we, out of our brokenness, throw on God. Maybe, maybe that wasn't your dad. Maybe it might have been a situation of my, my, dad was, my dad was focused on other stuff or maybe he just was kind of like emotionally distant or like me and him didn't have the best relationship and maybe he wasn't, he wasn't around. A mass that we might throw on God in that situation is God's distant. He's not really concerned about what I'm doing. He does his thing, I do mine. And I'm good with that. See, these broken images can become masks that skew the way that we reflect on God. It can become a way in which we actually have a, a, a broken idea of who we pray to. 
And the Catechism says one of the first things that we as Christians have to do is we have to purge ourselves of those broken things, those broken ideals. And in a particular way, men that are here in this church, every man in this church, you have an absolute 100% responsibility and power by who you are as a man to reflect God the Father in a perfect way in the most perfect way you possibly can. None of us will do it well. None of us will do it perfectly. Hopefully we all do it well. Because if you have a good example of fatherhood in your life, it just makes it easier to understand what we say when we say a good, loving, powerful, focused, compassionate father. That's the who. Now the how. After Jesus teaches the apostles and he says, after he teaches this disciple and he says, this is how you to pray, you're supposed to refer to and relate to God as a good and loving father. Then he goes into this kind of odd story where this person has a friend of his that shows up at midnight. It's like the, the, the friend who just left Roxas a little bit too late, right? Like he shows up and then he comes knock on his neighbor's door and is like, hey, come on in. We gotta, we gotta like, Hey, I got a friend that just showed up. I need food because Raisin Cane's was closed, even though it's never closed, right? Like, I got, I need food to feed him. I need to give him something. And the guy in, the, in the, his neighbor, he's like, I, the door's locked, dude. I'm in bed. Like, leave me alone. Now, we might think there's some kind of, like, Jewish tradition that, like, means something. No, it's just a really out there story. But one of the words that makes it, one of the words that makes it make sense is whenever Jesus says, if he doesn't give it because of their friendship, he will give it because of his persistence. That word persistence, the Greek word, can be also be tra- translated as shamelessness. That he has no shame in going and ask. That he's got a boldness to him. That he's, not, that he's not afraid, he's, he's not held back in what his request is to his neighbor. How are we supposed to pray to God? We have to have a boldness in what it is that we want. I think what ends up happening a lot of times, I know in my life, there have been different times that like I might have been struggling with a particular sin. And I might have, like, I remember I went to confession and I was struggling with this particular sin. And I was just like, I told the confessor, I said, look, Father, if this, if God would just fix this one thing, it, everything would else would be okay. Like, if He could just get rid of this one thing, then everything else would be okay. And He used this image, the, the priest, he looked at me and he said, you know, it's interesting. He said, it's like saying, if God could come in and just fix this leak in your living room then the rest of the house is fine. It's livable, it's comfortable, it's good. But you're just asking God to come in and fix this one leak. And I said, exactly, that's what I want. I want him to come in and fix this leak. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, because if he just fixes the leak, you're fine with that. And he said, I said, yeah. And his response was, he said, but the problem is, is he's not. He's not okay with just fixing the leak. He said, because what happens is when you invite God in, He doesn't just want to fix the leak. He then wants to paint the walls. He wants to change the floor. He's knocking out this wall. Open concept, right? Like the whole thing. Like He is making a new house, a new dwelling that's suitable for Him. doesn't matter what you're okay with. He said He wants to dwell there. He wants to live there. He wants to stay there. And the priest told me, he said, you're asking for too little. 
Like if we think about it, what's the goal of us being here? Like what's the goal of us practicing our faith, living out our faith? We want to say heaven, right? I I think every one of us here would say, yeah, that's my goal. I just want to get to heaven, right? My, My goal for being here is so that I can have my own day. The feast day of St. John David Mathern. That's a scary thing, right? Ask my teachers when I was a kid, they'd be like, oh my God. But, I'm a, but, but if, we not, if we're not shooting that high, if we're not asking for that much, if we're not that persistent, if we're not that bold in what, the grace that we're asking for from God, then why are we here? To get a silver medal? No. Like the purpose of our prayer is so that God could transform our lives and we could become what He created us to be. Every one of us is called to be a canonized saint. Like, think about that. You are called to be a canonized saint. St. John Paul II was a normal guy. St. Teresa of Calcutta was a normal girl. St. Maximilian Kolbe was a normal man. St. Padre Peel, normal person. And that's just the last 150 years of a few of them that we know. Every one of the saints were normal people. God's calling you and I to the same greatness. But in prayer, sometimes we just miss and we settle just for Him to fix a little thing here and there. And He wants to transform our life. All we have to do is ask. Final piece is the win. Now, this is the, this is the one that always sticks with me. Because I know there's been so many times when I was in high school, when I was in college, when I was in seminary, even now as a priest, that I look and I'm like, when am I going to pray? I do so much. I'm so busy. I can't fit the time in. I don't know. I'm probably alone in that, right? Yeah, no one else has ever felt that way. When am I going to pray? I'll use this as an example. Um, in the fall, every Sunday afternoon, you can bet I will find a place that the Saints are playing. Right? I will find a place that I can sit down and watch the Saints play. Because I know that if I sit down, now maybe by like week five I might not be thinking this, but I know that like at, at least at the beginning of the season when hope is high and everybody's excited, right, and Jameis Winston might not be terrible, right, like whenever we're looking at the season and we're going into the season, I'm willing to invest three hours because I have faith that, that this team is going to give me a certain level of entertainment. Like, I'm willing to invest, I'm willing to risk a couple of hours to sit down and to watch a football game because I think I'm going to get a little bit of entertainment out of it. I have faith that I'm going to get a little bit of entertainment out of it. Not having time to pray is often more about, is, is often not about a time issue. It's often more about a faith issue. Like, Father, I just want, I, I want to start praying. Great. Give 30 minutes a day. But the reason why a lot of times I think we hold back is because if we don't, we don't know if God is going to answer if we show up. I'll show up, but will He? 
It's not about a time issue. But do I have the faith that the Lord is going to meet me there? Today, as we come to, to this Mass, as we come to church tonight, God's not surprised that you're here. Like, like God's been waiting for you to get here. And the Catechism actually says it. Catechism, paragraph 2567. So if you want to look it up later, 2567. Right? Just count. It says, God calls man first. Man may forget his Creator or hide far from his face. He may run after idols or accuse the Deity of having abandoned him. Yet the living and true God tirelessly calls each person to the mysterious encounter known as prayer. Think about that language. God tirelessly pursues you. God tirelessly invited you to church tonight to this mysterious encounter, the most powerful prayer that we have on this side of heaven, the Mass. He tirelessly sought after you. In, pray, in prayer, the faithful God's initiative of love always comes first. Our own first step is always a response. As we come to pray tonight, as we come to Mass tonight, the when is right now. The who is a good, loving, and perfect Father who invited you here tonight, whether you realize it or not. So how do you come? How do you approach the altar? What are you asking for? What do you need, God? Where do you need, God? What bold, persistent, shameless prayer are you bringing before God tonight? Asking Him to transform you, your life, your heart. If we approach God like this in prayer, the relationship will never be a utility. It will never be just about what can I get. But we come to meet a person who's absolutely in love with you. May tonight we be bold in what we ask as we approach the altar. Amen.